Before we start the show, I want to tell you about My First Million, hosted by Sampar and Sean Purry, and available now on the HubSpot Podcast Network. My First Million features famous guests, discusses how companies made their first million, and brainstorms new business ideas based on the hottest trends and opportunities in the marketplace. Recent episodes you should absolutely check out are Three Profitable Business Ideas You Should Start in 2022, Drunk business ideas that could make you millions, and asking the founder of Grammarly how he built a $13 billion company. If you are curious to know how successful business leaders got to where they are and the opportunities and trends you need to be looking out for when it comes to growing your own business, listen to My First Million wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Business Made Simple Podcast, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Every week on the show, we coach you to build your business like an airplane. The cockpit is your leadership, the body is your overhead, the right engine is your marketing, the left engine is your sales, the wings are your products, and the fuel tanks are your cash flow. If you master the six parts of a small business, your business will fly far and fast. Every week, we help a business owner just like you optimize their airplane. I'm your host, Donald Miller. Well, this episode is long overdue. We have had thousands of you say, Don, will you give us the steps to starting a business? If I wanted to leave my job and start a business, what are the steps? We tell you how to grow your business all the time. We rarely talk about starting from zero. Well, today I actually invited Amy Porterfield. Amy is an online marketing expert. She's the host of the Online Marketing Made Easy podcast. She has counseled hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people on getting a side hustle or getting a business going. I can't think of a better person to have a conversation with. So if you are looking to start a business from scratch, you need to listen to my conversation with Amy Porterfield. I want to go a little bit of a different angle today because, you know, we have 300,000 small business owners listening to this podcast and not all of them grow digital businesses. But, you know, you've grown a really successful multi-million dollar business. You've made a lot of mistakes. You've done a lot of things right. I want to know from your perspective, if you had to start over today, how would you do it and what would you do? And the reason is post-COVID, different kind of world. The job market is so crazy. People are leaving their jobs. They feel rightly leverage an agency over their own lives. And some people are starting businesses. And you and I, if we have this conversation, can probably save them from a lot of mistakes. Yes. Amy, I'm going to chime in too, because I got some thoughts. But okay, good. if you had to start over from the beginning, what would you do? Okay. Step one would be to start creating content. Now, There's little layers to each of these steps. Obviously, you want to start thinking about who you want to serve, who your ideal customer avatar is. But sometimes with my students, they're not really sure. And I say, okay, well, let's start creating content around your expertise, your knowledge, your know-how. And by that, I mean a blog, podcast, or video show. If I were to start all over, I would start with a platform like that. I mean, obviously, I'm biased. I would choose a podcast. I think it's the easiest to get started and get out there but I would start with content. What would be your step one? Well, now my step one, I don't know if it should be my step one because yours is pretty darn good. Uh, I would say step one is, and this is going to sound so basic coming from a corporate mindset. I think it's your mission statement before you get going. But here's the thing that is different in my formula for a mission statement. My formula for a mission statement is we will accomplish X by X because of X. So we're going to accomplish this by this date because, and then you talk about why it matters. But the first part is the most important. 
I would say, what are your three target economic priorities? Mm. And, you know, here's the thing, you know, we're going to, uh, we're going to launch a product and sell 50 units. We're going to do whatever. And I reserve the right that my mission statement, if I'm starting a company, can change every week. Nice. <laughs> I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't think your mission statement is going to be the same two months later. Yes. Okay. So if you reserve the right to change that every single week, then I can get behind that 100% because a lot of my students who are just starting, they're not really sure. And so they don't start because they're like, I'm not, I'm not sure what to even put as my mission statement. Well, and the, the mission statement to me is less important than the economic priorities. Because the thing is, as you know, if you're starting it out, you got to think about cash. Where am I going to get cash? Who's going to pay me to do what? And then if I write that down and the money, and the other thing is your mission statement may change, not because you're not getting it going or it's not working, but because it is. So you may say, look, I'm going to launch a podcast and promote myself as a speaker. And then I'm going to be on stages. And now I'm realizing I haven't seen my kids and I can't remember their names. And so your mission statement has to change, right? Yes. You've got to find a way to get cash. But kind of both of us are more or less saying the same thing. And that is get out there and do something. Yes. Right? Get out there and put your name out there, put your content out there and start exchanging something for money. Yes. Okay. So that actually leads me to step two. To me, before the money comes, I believe you need an email list. I believe that the energy of your business is directly tied to the strength of your email list. And when I say energy, I'm talking revenue, engagement, audience building, um, your message, your content, all of that is so incredibly important, but the energy of your business is directly tied to the strength of your email list. Notice I didn't say size. I don't believe you have to have a huge email list. However, social media is fickle. It comes and goes. That algorithm, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, but you own your email list. And when you have an email list, you can be making money every single day from that email list if you play it right. So I believe once you've got that content platform, let's say you're going to create a podcast, find ways while you're creating your content to also grow your email list, create freebies on your podcast, talk about them on social media. That's a great way to use social, but grow your email list so that when you're ready to make some money, when you're ready to put that offer out there, you're not just putting it out on social. If you use email marketing, it's four times more likely to convert than any social media post. So my thing is content and email list very early on in starting your business. I think step two is the same for both of us. Okay, there's cool. not a single ingredient, if you will, that I would I would say growing my business that has been more important than my email list. Yes. I would say one caveat. If you have enough cash for a year to a year and a half to two year runway, I think you can focus and you you should focus on building your email list even before you create a product. But I would also say if you don't you got to get some revenue. You got to find something that you can sell even to your small email list while you're building that email list. So it's a little bit of a combination, but I might say grow an email list if you don't have the need for cash. And if you have the need for cash, you got to grow your email list while you are selling something. You got to create that product and, uh, and, and that way you have some positive uh, cash flow coming through. 
Step two is very similar. Totally on the same page with you. And that would lead me to my third thing. So when I'm talking about kind of like big picture, there's all these little details I would add along the way if this was a three hour conversation, but it's put out an offer. I don't want people waiting six months before they think they're ready or their audience is ready to put out an offer. Most of us, when we're starting a business, we need to make money right away. So starting to think about, are you going to do coaching, consulting, a membership, a digital course, a physical product, whatever it might be, putting that offer together is so incredibly important. And one of the mistakes I've made along the way in the early days is trying to do too much, too many offers, too many spinning plates. I am such a fan of less is more. Keep it simple. You can get fancy later. So I have very few offers, even 13 years in that I put out into my audience. And I think If I were starting over, if someone told me less is more, Amy, a few core offers, double down, get really good on how to market them, how to deliver them, you are golden. So that's definitely part of the equation. Well, I think your step two and three are are the same as mine. So, you know, I, I kind of included that in step two. But depending on where you are in terms of positive cash flow, your step three could become two and your two could become three, but regardless, sell something through an email list. All right. You know, I don't know how far we're going to go. What's your step four? Oh my gosh. I didn't even think about a step four. Do you want me to share mine? Yes. Yes. All right. You've got some money coming in. You can start putting money away if you want. You can buy the bass boat, whatever. I would say before you do that, hire somebody who can cover your liabilities. Ooh, tell me more about that. Hire somebody who's good at what you're not good at. Uh, And really, you got to ask yourself, where's the money coming from? And if the money is coming from you creating content, then somebody else needs to be managing your schedule, managing your travel, and they may even be a personal assistant that's picking up your dry cleaning and whatever else. You got to figure out where is your time away from the money maker, whatever you do that's making money, where is it being wasted? And then I think you can hire a part-time person to actually keep you more in your sweet spot. Because what happens when you begin to succeed is immediately you start running a business rather than doing the thing that got the business going in the first place. And that's usually where businesses plateau. And I would say it's important even for a fourth step really early to go ahead and preempt that from happening. It's also something that people put off. And Amy, you know, they put this off for five and 10 years. It took me forever to hire a virtual assistant because I did not want to do two weeks of training a virtual assistant. So I did five years of needing one and not having one. And it was a stupid move in hindsight. Okay. I'm so glad you brought this one up because this is one of the things I feel like, yes, I should have hired a virtual assistant earlier. But when I did, I was so afraid I wouldn't be able to afford them. Or do I have enough work for them? Although, of course, I did. So I I hired a virtual assistant at five hours a week to start. She quickly turned to 10, 20, (laughs) full time. But I started out with five and we kind of just both eased into it. Put your toes in the water. Yes. And I'm so glad I did. And I always tell my students, you're right. They wait for years and years and years to do this. And I tell them, there's no badge of honor in saying that you did this all alone because you're leaving money on the table and you're going way slower than you need to go. And you're trying to do it all and you're going to get burned out. So hiring early 
Absolutely. And I love starting with a virtual assistant or executive assistant or whatever it might be. I think it's a perfect place to start. Okay. I love it. All right. I'm curious because I want to give you five and six, and I think you're going to have a whole lot to say on this. But five and six go together. Doesn't totally matter which one you do first. But five and six would be one, optimize your product offering. Yes. And what that means is go back and analyze where you're making money and cut anything that's not making money unless it's some sort of loss leader. And then see if there's something that you can sell for a lot more. You know, for instance, Amy, I don't know about you, but an enterprise level client came to me recently and they kind of pushed back on what we were offering. And all I did was say, okay, what if I deliver that keynote and then do two 60 minute follow ups with your sales team to answer any questions and they bought it immediately? What that told me is, wait a second, in terms of value, it's actually double the value if I follow up a keynote with some Zoom calls with their leadership team. Cost me two hours. All I'm doing is Q&A. But at the same time, they're able to implement what I talk about much, much better and affect their bottom line and allows us to charge more. It's optimizing your product offering. It's sitting down and thinking, how can I offer even more value so that I can charge more? It's that sort of little brainstorming session that I think can make a huge difference. And then the part six would be do the same thing with your messaging and your marketing. Mm -hmm. How can you talk about what you're offering more clearly? And of course, this is where the story brand framework comes in. But this is where you, you by the way, are incredible at this. And I really want to hear your insights on this. You know, go back and look at what you're saying on your website, what you're saying in your emails, what you've got in your lead generators. Optimize that. Those are probably the next two steps that I would, I would say in terms of growing your business. When you think about the tenets of your business, what comes to mind? For me, it's not about first impressions. It's about lasting relationships. It shows I'm dedicated to learning and growing with this person or business no matter what. HubSpot CRM platform helps your business sustain relationships at scale, harnessing the power of technology to transform single impressions into loyal customers. With HubSpot CRM's detailed tracking and reporting, you can easily view key trends and model behavior across the customer lifecycle. Detailed data and analytics help you make customer-focused decisions at every stage of your business. HubSpot is built to grow with you wherever you are headed next. Learn how your business can grow better at HubSpot.com. And now back to the show. I love that you said optimize because when I said earlier, less is more, that's really what I come back to where somebody will launch a digital course in my world because that's what I teach. So they launch a digital course they do well. Let's say they have a five or six figure launch. And then they look around and they say, okay, what's next? What, what should I create? What should I launch next? And I say, no, don't launch anything new. <laughs> Iterate on what you got. Yes. You proved that it worked. So now let's optimize it. Let's, let's figure out, does something not work in it that we could take out? Can we clean it up a bit? Can we tighten it up again? Can we, can we add more value? Absolutely. I teach my students when they sell a course, you could sell an independent study and a VIP. So maybe we should add a VIP level the next time we launch it. My success has come from doing the same thing over and over and over again, but getting really good at it. I'm known for digital courses because I continue to teach how to do them. I could have jumped ship and taught 10 other things, but I wanted to be known for something. And so absolutely optimize what you've already been working on. Find opportunities to add more value. And then that last thing you said about the messaging, one of the things that we do a lot in my company is we survey our audience. We ask them Mm. lots of questions Mm. because the only way that I can make my copy, my messaging better, 
is to speak in their language, to use the words and the phrases that they're using. So I'll have to make uh, educated guesses in the beginning, but then I start to refine. Every single launch, I'm refining that copy. And every single time I'm getting closer and closer to the heartbeat of how my students are feeling and thinking. And so you and I are so on the same page. They will tell you what to say. They will. You don't have to think. They'll tell you what to say if you ask the right questions. Can I just ask you, though, what's your mechanism for getting feedback from your customers? I mean, what what do you use for surveys? How how often do you review them? How how does that work in terms of a process? Two different things. We do about three surveys a year, usually. We are as simple as SurveyMonkey, and we will actually survey students versus non-students or specific students related to something that we want to make better. So we'll get really segmented in who we're surveying and the questions we're asking. And then Ask, the book Ask by Ryan Levesque is actually fantastic. And we use that book to formulate a lot of our surveys. And then another thing we do is we create quizzes. Now, quizzes are great list builders, but the answers we get from those quizzes are just a gold mine. And so we ask a lot of great questions in that quiz to give them their outcome, but then we analyze all that data. So quizzes and surveys a couple times a year. And you change your marketing collateral based on that. You change what the kind of course you're going to create and even the contents of those Absolutely. courses. Is that right? Yeah, we're updating a course right now and we're literally all of the updates are based on a year's worth of feedback we received from alumni of the course. And it feels so spot on. It's no guessing. Like we know exactly what they want. Wow, that's oh, it's just so valuable. And especially us type A driven Enneagram threes. We don't listen. We, we know <laughs> what you want. And that's a major blind spot. All right. I'm going to I'm going to close with what I think would be step seven. Okay. And I really want to hear from you how you would do this. And, and okay. I'll just say this streamline your marketing, streamline your marketing funnel, if you will. And I'll share with you what my idea of a marketing funnel is. It's extremely basic. Will you please elaborate on it? Because you are so, so good at this. Basically, it is a website that has a really clear message and a clear offering, a lead generator like a PDF that you can used to collect email addresses, a nurturing campaign with a sales component, an email campaign. And those are basically the four things that I think you need to get a business going. But what is in a necessary sales funnel to grow a business? Okay. So absolutely what you just said. I love keeping it simple. And I would say that's a perfect funnel, especially when you're just getting started and you've never done one before. When I think of marketing funnels, I tend to tie them to very specific products. So let's say I'm selling a course on list building. So for me, my funnels typically will start on my podcast. So I will, let's say on my podcast, I'll invite people to a free masterclass, a webinar. So I'll actually advertise that on my podcast. And from there, they get on my webinar. And on my webinar, of course, I deliver impeccable value for at least 45 minutes. And then I sell my course all about list building. So once I do that, so we go from the podcast to a freebie. And my freebie is a webinar. So they sign up for it, name and email. And then I sell. But a lot of people don't buy directly from that webinar. So my funnel continues. Anyone who didn't buy will now be part of an email marketing sequence. So I will email them. I'll tell them the benefits of the course, tell them stories about other successful list builders. I'll let them know what's in the course. So it's a series of emails. And then I'll let them know that an offer is going away. So we tend to have timely bonuses that will go away. 
I'm a big believer in urgency. I think that people can stall and not take action if I don't give them a reason to do so. So you could buy my course at any time, but these bonuses are limited time. So we do a whole email marketing campaign and then we create that urgency at the end and it's it's done. And if somebody doesn't buy, now they just become part of my weekly newsletter uh, email list where I'm nurturing them over time and maybe they'll see the offer down the road again and want to buy. But most of my funnels include webinars and it makes a huge difference. Where were you at when you discovered webinars? Because I remember about three years ago, I wasn't doing any webinars. I knew they worked, but the technology, the team, I was worried I wouldn't do it right. Uh, I didn't have the bandwidth personally to go in and explore webinars, but gosh, it works so well that we now we do them all the time. I, thank God you'd be so great at webinars. But to answer your question, My very first webinar I ever did was when I worked for Tony Robbins. He had never done a webinar before either. And we were practicing the night before. We used GoToWebinar. He was at home, 10 p.m. I was still in the office and we were practicing. And at the end, I hit a button to end the practice. And Tony said, Amy, why did I just get an email that said the entire webinar has been canceled? All participants, all (laughs) registrants, I mean, got an email that night saying this webinar has been canceled. That was like my first experience oh, with a webinar. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I literally cried. I literally lost a, a day or two off my life, but we were uh, luckily before the next morning able to patch it together. But tech issues are going to happen, which is probably the number one reason why someone doesn't want to try a webinar. The greatest news is that technology for webinars has gotten incredibly or more so easier than it's ever been before. Yeah. So it's not something that should stop you in your tracks. Okay. So webinars, I mean, I've always said lead generating PDFs are the easiest. True. Uh, free. We've also had great success with mini courses. Yeah. So we have a course called Five Minute Marketing Makeover that we've used for three or four years. Can you speak a little bit to how you, in an advanced marketing system, how you uh, interact with Facebook ads, Google ads? Where have you seen success in leading people to your podcast, to your webinars? Where have you seen success there? So we have used for 13 years, have used Facebook ads from the beginning for list building. And I tend to do the bulk of my ad spend on lead gen. I rarely will run an ad to a sales page or get people to go to a sales page. I'm usually running ads to a lead magnet or a webinar. We use Facebook ads, Instagram ads, and just started again in the past we did this Google ads. Because Facebook advertising has gotten so incredibly expensive, it really has skyrocketed over the last year. We're starting to dabble with Google ads to see what might come out of that. But I'm a huge proponent of paid advertising. All right. Can I go back and go through what I think are steps one through seven and start a business and then we can make editorial comments? You're better on your feet than (laughs) I am, but these are great steps. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Step one, and I just said this way, uh, figure out how you're going to exchange something for money. Just figure out you know, what you're an expert in and what you can create that can be exchanged for money. I, I form that as a mission statement. Then you and I kind of joined on one and two and considered them all one. Build your email list, Yeah. right? Build your email list. And I would actually add to that, start building a platform. Your podcast, uh, your video, whatever you're going to do, if you're going to have a YouTube channel, figure out how to do that. And then number three is, I just worded it, put out an offer. And that's what you said. I would say that goes with your first marketing sales funnel. You know, so it's put out an offer and build a marketing sales funnel. It is okay if that marketing funnel is bad because we're going to optimize it in step seven right? Feel free to build a bad one. And you'll know if it's bad because you won't be making you money. (laughs) 
I think at that point, you're rolling in a little bit of dough. I think it's time to bring in a virtual assistant. And the key there is to bring in a virtual assistant that is able to do the things that you're bad at. Yeah. Would you agree with this, Amy, on this this note? I've heard it recently and it's been very helpful. There's usually three people at the top of a company. There's the artist, the entrepreneur, and the operator. Have you ever heard of that? No, but I love that. Yeah. And I didn't realize I'm very much an artist. I wonder if you aren't an artist as well. So the artist, operator, and what's the other one? The artist, the operator, and the entrepreneur. So the artist is the one who's obsessed with products and product creation. It's funny because I was a memoirist for years. I was a pure artist. And that itch gets scratched just as much running a company. But I've realized, well, it's because you're still an artist. You're still just creating things. The entrepreneur is the one who's more or less obsessed with how to monetize everything, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, how do we make more money? How do we do this? How do we stay alive? And then the operator is obsessed with processes and people. When I'm looking at my team, I have somebody that fits each of those roles, me being the artist. I am a little bit of a set obsessed with how we're going to make money, but I don't have to leave that. I am too. I think the artist and entrepreneur can kind of overlap quite a bit if we were looking at that. I only say that because your virtual is, you need to know what you're good at for your virtual assistant to make a lot of sense. All right. Step five, optimize your offering. Go through your products and figure out where you're really making money and then figure out how to charge more by adapting them to add more value. That's the one thing that most people will not do. That's so smart. You brought that up. I love it. And then I put step six, clarify your message. Mm -hmm. And you added, find out what your audience wants and survey that audience because they're going to help you clarify that message. That is a goldmine of advice. And then step seven, all the way back to step three, streamline your marketing. Consider Facebook ads, consider Google ads, consider quizzes, consider webinars, all that kind of stuff to actually streamline your marketing effort. And then you know what? I think you just go back to step one. (laughs) You literally just keep doing it. Over and over. And uh, and you're going to end up with a business that is extremely strong. Amy, where can people find out more about you and all the courses that you offer and all the great business advice that you have? The best place is my podcast, Online Marketing Made Easy. I share all of the details of how to get your business up and running from webinars to list building to everything in between. So that's a great place to start. Well, Amy, you've been a trusted advisor of mine and everybody on my team for a really long time. I think if people begin to circle your orbit, they're going to glean a lot of wisdom. And a new Nashville, one year into being yes. a Nashvillian, welcome. Uh, although I've only been here eight years, I can't pretend that I'm, uh, I am have the key to the city yet to give away. But uh, we are very grateful that you're here and, and, I'm, and I'm very honored to call you a friend. Uh, likewise. Thanks so much for having me. I wonder if I interviewed a bunch of different business leaders, small business owners, people who've scaled up a small business, had some success. I, I honestly don't think that list would be much different. I think it would be these seven things over and over. I mean, there might be an addition here and there, but I'm very curious because we, I don't, you heard it in the interview. We were dead on. I mean, we were completely aligned around each step. And I'll, I'll tell you this. These are not the steps we took to grow our business. The steps that we took to grow our business, there were 24 of them, and most of them didn't work. These are the seven that, these are the seven that you should actually do over and over. If you want to know where all my advice was coming from, it was all coming from the airplane. It was all coming from those six parts of the airplane leadership is your cockpit, right engine is your marketing, left engine is your sales, wings are your products, and you know all that stuff about optimizing your products. That's where you get the right wings on the airplane. Uh, covering your overhead, that's the body of the airplane. 
and cash flow is the fuel tanks. All of that is uh, is part of our framework. If you would like to coach people through those frameworks, become one of our certified Business Made Simple coaches. You can apply at certifiedbusinesscoach.com. When you do apply, one of our representatives will call you. We'll have a conversation to make sure this is the right program for you. But all of that stuff that I was talking about is from those six frameworks, which of course you, you come to in hindsight. You know, you grow a business, you make a lot of mistakes, and you go back and say, man, if I could streamline this process for somebody else, it'll make it a lot easier. And uh, I love coaching people through this stuff. Okay. As you know, at the end of every episode, I give you a plan of action from today's coaching conversation. These are the main takeaways you can immediately implement to strengthen and grow your business. Today's plan of action, I'm just going to summarize those seven steps. So those of you who didn't have a pen or didn't pull out your phone to take notes, I'm going to give them to you real quickly. This will be the third time we've gone over them in this episode. But at the same time, you say, Don, isn't that redundant? Yes, but you don't have it memorized yet. What are the seven? You don't know. (laughs) Here they are. Are you ready? All right. First, figure out what you're going to exchange for money. This is the number one thing. And a lot of people would say, well, start with what you're passionate about and ask yourself what your favorite color is and what's your favorite story. And, you know, listen, if you are an heiress to a multi-billion dollar fortune and you got six years to figure something else, definitely start with what your favorite color is because you have no need to make money. But if you're like the rest of us and you got to get some cash flow going, figure out what you're going to sell. Before you leave your day job, figure out what you are going to sell. It's a big one. And then uh, start creating whatever it is that you're going to sell. Next, you got to get an email list because as soon as you figure out what you're going to sell, you're going to notice something. Nobody's buying it. (laughs) <laughs> right? That's that's because you don't have an email list. The absolute number one way to sell somebody something is through an email list. It, it has been for a long time, and it's going to be for a long time to come. So get that email list together. That is basically going to involve creating a marketing sales funnel. Dr. JJ Peterson and I wrote a book called Marketing Made Simple. Go grab that. It'll teach you to make a marketing sales funnel. Then put an offer out there. Figure out how to sell what you're going to sell This is part of of building a list, part of building the company. Figure out how to sell something. It's it's a little bit of streamlining and discovering best practices on what you did on the previous step. But put an offer out there, build that list. Fourth, now that you are making money, do this sooner rather than later. Hire an assistant. Maybe it's a part-time virtual assistant. Amy said she hired somebody at five hours a week. I, I think I did the same thing, to be honest with you. Um, we bought that person away from the company that they were with within a year. In other words, we went from five to 10 to 20 to 40. And then finally we paid the fee in order for that person just to come in house. Uh, Her name was Melissa and she was absolutely fantastic. I cannot believe I waited so long. You need that assistant. Fifth, optimize your product offering. And what can you do to optimize the value so that you can charge more for what is already working. Don't give in to the temptation to go figure out something else that you can sell. That is going to split your interest. It's going to split your focus. It's going to be damaging. Amy was right. Simplify your product offering. How can you take what's already working, add some value to it, and charge more for it? Next, clarify your message. This is often where people come to us at StoryBrand and say, We got a great thing going, but we're not talking about it in such a way that it's spreading. When you clarify your marketing message, when you clarify your message, your company will finally start to grow. I wrote a whole book called Building a Story Brand. That book has sold 700,000 copies. If you're one of the people who haven't read it yet, please go read that book. That's step six. And then step seven, streamline your marketing effort. So go back. Now that you've optimized your product offering, optimize your marketing. 
make sure you know it's working, you guys. It's already working. So how can we get a better lead generator? How can we get better nurturing emails? How can we create and write some better closing emails that close those sales? You know, we, we always think that the path to growth is something new or something that we haven't discovered. I promise you, I promise you, if there's one thing that you remember in this plan of action, it's this. The path to growth is to optimize what you're already doing. Optimize what is already working and then go back and do it again and again and again. That's it. Listen, if, if you want to, you know, this is true in so many walks of life. Let's say you're a young kid and you're a good basketball player and you want to play in the NBA or the WNBA. You can either perfect all parts of the game, rebounding, three-point shooting, guarding, offensive rebounds, steals, or you can say, you know what? I'm going to be the best three-point shooter in the game, and that's my best path to the NBA. I'd put money on the kid who wanted to become really good at one thing. It's not mean you don't have to be well-rounded, but you become really good at one thing and you create an expert, you're going to find your place on a team. I think the same is true. People are coming to you. They're spending money with you for a reason. Why not perfect that reason? Why not own that territory? I think uh, so much of the success in business is actually about optimizing what is already working. That is a goldmine. Listen, if you have friends who want to start a business, share this episode with them because this is the advice that I needed so very long ago. And finally, it's in, a, it's in one organized place on this podcast. Thank you, Amy Porterfield. Long overdue, not just you as a guest, but this conversation. I thought it was fantastic. All right, everybody. Thanks as always for listening to the Business Made Simple podcast, where we help you build your business like an airplane so you can fly far and fast. See you again next week.